Lucky number two. Welcome, Litwits, to another episode of The Library Game. I'm Amy. I'm Lacey. And we are your intrepid guides on this journey towards the next book that you're going to read. Usually, we do this through a series of methodically randomly selected numbers that lead us through the maze of our library to the next book just waiting to be picked up. But this time, we're doing something just a little bit different. We decided as we near the end of the season, we would try out a few different bits. And so this is the first ever episode in the library game of Read This, Coward. And this is a bit where rather than randomly selecting a book, one of us challenges the other to read a book. Sight unseen, so still similar to our general premise of the library game. And this time, Lacey is the lucky coward. And I have decided that she has to read A Deadly Education by Naomi Novik. So, Lacey, why don't you just take us straight into your by-the-cover judgment of this book. Let's do that thing we're not supposed to do. Judge this book by its cover. Go. All right. So the cover is black with gold writing and print and... It's very supernaturally looking. So we have an open book on the bottom and then rising up out of the book with like a swirly gold tendril, maybe. I'm not sure. There's like a spike almost that this gold thing is rising up. And then there's an eye with little sunbursty looking things coming off of the eye. And then this is all encapsulated in a big circle with the phases of the moon going around it and then there's lots of little like sparkly stars all around the whole thing so it definitely has like a magic vibe to it the book leads me to think that this is school based so like kind of harry potter-esque i guess the deadly education it says lesson one of the scholomance so i am thinking that this is something in the lines of like a harry potter or what's that what's that tv show the Magicians? Yes, something like that. Which was also a book. Oh, okay. I don't think I read that book. I think I just only watched the show. Anyway, I'm thinking it's something along those lines, but a deadly education, maybe less than one of the scholomance. It just looks like a, what's the word? Portmanteau, I think, of the, it's just like two words mashed together. Yeah. So it's like scholarly romance is what that sounds like to me. <laughs> But that doesn't fit the magic vibe. So I'm thinking that this may be one of those hard magic type of things where magic is a science and a math. It's not just like a whimsical thing that you do and you snap your fingers and things happen. It's like a hard, you have to practice. And and maybe these are villains. Maybe we're training villains. It's very dark seeming. So I'm going to go with it's a school for villains that are learning hard magic and maybe Maybe villain is not the right word, but like people who are influencing the world. I guess I'm assuming that it's in our world, not like a separate universe. And mm -hmm. they could be forces for good, but more often than not, they're like power hungry 
And we've got a young, I'm going to say a female protagonist who is, I don't know, maybe, maybe she comes in and is sort of like fighting for good, even though everybody else is, is this power hungry group. And since it's, seems like it's a series, maybe I'm going to even go further and say the series is like her. Oh, that's a different thing. That's oh, okay. a different thing, Lacey. Okay. Remember that. That's wild speculation. Okay. I won't wildly speculate. Horses. That's as far as I'm going to go. <laughs> so tell me what my book is about. <clears throat> a Deadly Education is set at Scholomance, a school for the magically gifted where failure means certain death. For real. Until one girl, Elle, begins to unlock its many secrets. There are no teachers, no holidays, and no friendships save strategic ones. Survival is more important than any letter grade, for the school won't allow its students to leave until they graduate. Or die. (laughs) The rules are deceptively simple. Don't walk the halls alone. And beware of the monsters who lurk everywhere. Elle is uniquely prepared for the school's dangers. She may be without allies, but she possesses a dark power strong enough to level mountains and wipe out millions. It would be easy enough for Elle to defeat the monsters that prowl the school. The problem? Her powerful dark magic might also kill all the other students. Oh, so it's definitely got like a YA vibe and it's making me think of Maze Runner. Mm, mm-hmm. I can see that. Like Maze Runner and the Magicians had a literary baby. (laughs) And this is what came out of it. I'm intrigued. I am excited for you to read this. Any listeners that maybe have already read it, you might have picked up on a couple things that Lacey said that may or may not fit. (laughs) We'll put it that way. I really hope you like this book because if you don't like it, we might not be able to be friends. That's all right. But there's only one way to find out. I guess I'll go read the book. So? I I mean, I read it in like two days. So. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think we could start by saying, yes, I liked it. It's definitely YA. Oh, yeah. And I'll say I started out worried that I wasn't going to like it a little bit. Okay. Just because, I don't know, some of that stuff, it just, when you've read enough of them they feel like all the same a little formulaic yeah sure i mean and it it was but it was still entertaining enough that i just wanted to keep reading like i i don't have that many notes because i didn't pause to go write notes down (laughs) when i read this um i think i mentioned before this was at a friend of mine's suggestion brie i flew through the book very quickly i immediately liked the main character because she's one a girl and two rad powerful and three angry all the time and i just found that very entertaining but let's before we get too into that do we want to we were thinking about maybe doing kind of just a summary of the world building and kind of like where all of the terminology and stuff that you come across in the book comes from Yeah, I think the easiest place to start is just describing what the school is, and then we can kind of, I don't know, roll out from there. So it's this, can you say what it's called? Because you listened to it, (laughs) and it's hard to pronounce. (laughs) The Scholomance. The Scholomance. So it is a, is it an intelligent school? Is there an intelligence to it? Yeah, I, I think that 
and I don't want to get too into it, but the school was magically created in the space called the Void, which is just the space in between the world, I guess you could say. It exists outside of space and time. It's the outside if you're an Ender fan. <laughs> there you go, sure. And so they created it, but it's anchored with one entrance slash exit, right? And that's what holds it to the real world. And then if I remember correctly, the school is described as kind of levels that kind of corkscrew around like a central thing and there's a level for each year and I think there's a couple other levels in between too so you feel like your freshman sophomore junior senior also if you listen to the book the person that reads it has a British accent which makes sense but apparently with an English British accent whatever they say sophomore instead of just mm. sophomore <laughs> and so that was I don't know why but it made me giggle every time I heard it in the book, which you don't hear it that often. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so the whole school is, imagine like round rings around like a central pillar, or I think that's like where the staircase is or something. And the safer classrooms and dorms are at the top. So the freshmen are at the top, the seniors are at the bottom. And there is this thing called the graduation hall, which the seniors have to go through to get out of the school. So the idea is that like you're yanked into the school as a freshman and you live there. You do not get to leave until you either die or you graduate as a senior. There are no adults. There's no other people mm -mm. there. It was created by others, but they are not present. And like you said, you don't like show up at school one day. On it's a not bus. like Harry Potter where you ride the train and then, you, you know, it's not like that. <laughs> yeah, you're like teleported in basically. But you, yeah. you know that it's happening because there is like a, you can plan for what you're going to bring with you. And you have to yeah. plan for four years worth of. And you only have a certain amount that you're allowed right. to bring in. Like yeah. a certain weight. Let's back that up. So why does the school exist at all? It exists because in this world that uh, the Scalamans and these characters live in, there are these things called Malificari. And Malificari are basically monsters. And they are drawn to and attack anyone that can use magic. They want to eat your mana, which is magic. And children are not good at protecting themselves. So Mals, as they're referred to in the book, don't usually go after adults, uh, you know, like they might try to here and there. But for the most part, an adult trained wizard is capable of defending themselves. And so they're not good prey. I think there's also something like when your magic is reaching its adulthood, like there is more mana for them to take from you. So you are a more appealing mark anyway, because you yeah. have more. Puberty, it does crazy things to everybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you have uh, teenagers who are just weird mana factories. Just with the stink of mana all over them. Yeah, deodorant does jack shit for it. Um, <laughs> And then they also don't know how to protect themselves. So this school was created as a way to basically kind of sequester children away so that they could learn all this stuff and then come back out into the world prepared to be functioning adults. Now, what I like about that is this is what I think should happen to all preteens and teenagers 
Uh, they should just be <laughs> they should just be sent away somewhere and if they survive see that's a Lacey I know that's you've heard me say this before but sure but what I'm saying is like they need to go away go have all their weird teenage problems somewhere else and then when they're over it they can come back and they can join society so I think that's another reason why I like this book a lot but the problem is that Malificari are really good at squirreling into literally any place they could possibly get into. And so over time, they get in through that one anchor door into the graduation hall. And they kind of tend to amass in there and then work their way into the school from there. So like these really big, scary ones who can't fit in the little pipes and crawlways and things like that, they tend to hang out in the graduation hall, eating each other and like waiting for graduation. And then the smaller ones creep their way into the school. And so from the beginning, you know, from the first time that you pop in there, you have to be watching your back. There are people who live in what are called enclaves in the world. And so these enclaves are places that wizards have kind of set up They also go into the void a bit and anchor in the real world. And it's safe places where wizards can go and do their wizard thing. And just live life without being on guard all the time. Like that's the appeal of being in an enclave is that you can just do normal life because Mm -hmm. you can't be attacked. Yeah. But space is premium in enclaves. And so only so many people can live in them. And so people who are not part of an enclave already, they do everything they can to get into an enclave. And so you have people who will work literally for 20, 30, 40 years just so that they can earn a spot maybe for their kids in an enclave. And so these are people who would live outside the enclave, but maybe they go and they work. And uh, this touches into another aspect of it, which is how magic is created in this world. So magic isn't just an infinite thing that people, it's not the force that you can just tap into. It's not like in Harry Potter, where it's just if you know the spell, and you're good enough at it, you can do it. It's video game magic, you have to amass mana in some way. Tell us about that. Oh, so there's different ways. One way is the stereotypical bad witch, bad wizard way where you pull it from other living things. Mm -hmm. And there's some interesting consequences of doing that in this world. So if you do it way too much, basically you go crazy, right? Mm -hmm. And you start to physically show signs of it. Yeah. Right. You can do it slowly and carefully and it still harms you, but it can harm you slow enough that it doesn't kill you or make you go crazy. But it, it, like you said, it can change your physical appearance. You'd look sickly when it's happening. So That's one way. Another way is just by doing like physical labor, any sort Mm -hmm. of work builds mana. Like if you work up a sweat, you worked up some mana. That's how I thought about it as I was reading through the book. The stealing your magic from other living things, that's called malia. Mm -hmm. And it's called mana when you do it through your own work, through your own effort. And so when people go to work for enclaves, they are contributing mana to the general pool of magic that that enclave stores. And so the idea is that, you know, you can put your mana into things. So like our main character, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit, she keeps crystals. Her mom taught her how to store mana in crystals that you can then use later because you can only hold so much mana in your body at one time. 
And so there's crystals, there's these things called power sharers, which can be like a bracelet or a necklace or things like that, which connect you to a shared storage space. And so then you can pull that mana, right? And so the idea is that if you're coming from an enclave into this school, you, one, already have connections with other people that, you know, with older students that are uh, from your enclave. And two, you're coming from basically a rich kid privileged background. You likely are going to get access to a group mana storage device of some kind. So enclaves are the shit. Everybody wants to be in one. And I think that gives us the general background premise of the world. So Lacey, why don't you tell us about our main character? So our main character is Galadriel, but she goes by L. And she is the daughter of Gwen Higgins. So we learn more about Gwen throughout the story. But the gist of it is that Gwen is a very powerful, good witch. I don't know if they go by witch, but like good magic user. She's a healer. A total hippie is what she is. (laughs) Yeah. She's not part of an enclave. She lives in like a yurt Mm -hmm. and heals people for free. She makes these crystals that I guess are known the world over and Mm -hmm. just like gives them away to people. So people will travel all over just to come visit her. And I think Elle thinks that she lets people take advantage of her, but it's just her nature. She is this kind, giving, good person. And I think that it also shows that she's quote unquote, very lucky, but she she walks the walk that she talks, I guess, mm-hmm. in the sense that like she is a firm believer in like what you put out into the world, you get back. And so that is exemplified in her life. One other thing about just the world in general that I think we missed, but is important when we talk about Gwen and, and Elle mm. and their relationship is that magic users in this world have what's the word they use i want to keep wanting to say quirks but i don't think that's it they have affinities affinities okay that's a good way to say it so magic users in this world have particular affinities things that they are just naturally inclined toward and Mm -hmm. the world likes balance and because gwen is so good and so strong and so giving and kind or whatever L, or at least this is what L thinks, that the world needed to balance that out by making L's affinity just massive destruction. Yeah. And so, again, I'm skipping around with stuff that you don't find out necessarily at the beginning of the book, but I think part of Gwen's focus on being kind to giving or whatever is probably heightened even more because she knows that her daughter has this affinity and Mm. she doesn't want to let her become evil because she's she's lined up to be like the perfect evil sorceress yeah you can you can almost see it in your mind like cartoonishly evil just fantastic i mean she's like maleficent that's (laughs) yeah yeah you know i think that's fantastic yeah i think that's exactly right and we also uh we learn a little bit about this as well when we hear about Elle's father so Elle's father and her mom met while they were in the scholomance and her dad actually died during graduation. He was eaten by a maw mouth, which is the biggest, scariest mal that exists. But what's important is that her father's great-grandmother, something like that, was a famous seer and 
made a prophecy over Elle when she was very young. And this prophecy has kind of haunted Elle and her mother. And I think, again, it ties into what you were saying about how how much importance Elle's mom puts on being kind and being good and giving. Because the prophecy spoken over Elle was that she would bring death and destruction to all the enclaves of the world. (laughs) And so Elle grew up, before coming into the Scalamance, living a strictly mana life. Now, like we mentioned, there's mana and there's Malia, and stealing a little bit of mana from a houseplant so that you can heat your tea, most people wouldn't think much of it. Like The idea is that like little tiny bits of Malia in the world, not a big deal. But for Elle and her mother, they have lived a life of only mana, only using what you've put in the work for. And a good chunk of that, I think you're right, is is pulled into that idea of like, you have to be good. Because if you step down that darker path, if you put a little toe over the line, it might be the end of the world, very literally. Okay, I think that gives us the general background of the world, gives us the background of our main character here. So why don't we just kind of get into like the actual story? Yeah, okay. So again, we started out talking about the school itself. Elle is in her junior year at school. So she's Mm -hmm. been there a couple years. You figure out throughout the story, she is extremely calculating. Mm -hmm. She is a loner. Mm Mm-hmm. She is somebody that people don't like. And she, I imagine if this were a movie, I know that you always think of everything as if it were made into a movie or a show, there would be these overly dramatic moments where it like zooms in on her face and she does her evil Maleficent face at people. (laughs) (laughs) You know? There's just so many moments where she just leans into, I am chaos, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I I could totally say, I think that would be amazing if they could do that. I would love to see this as a movie, honestly. (laughs) It fits in the vibe of a lot of Netflix series that I've watched Mm -hmm. recently. So Mm -hmm. I could totally see it. Kind of that high school, but dark. (laughs) Yeah. It's another take, I think, on that dark modern fantasy, maybe. It also kind of makes me think of The Magicians. Mm Mm-hmm. In the sense of, you know, like a, a counter Very similar, to Harry Potter. To yeah. As a matter of fact, if they actually are going to make the Harry Potter TV series, I think like on HBO or something, they were going to do it like a series. I think Netflix should grow some balls and say, we're going to put out a Deadly Education <laughs> series like at the same time to compete with it. I think that would be pretty funny. But anyway, okay, so story. So the story starts out with a person named... Orion Lake, a guy in the same year as Elle, breaking down her door to kill a monster that's that's in her room. So he breaks mm-hmm. in and saves her from this monster, which pisses her off because yeah. she is so calculating. She knows that she's super powerful, but because her power is this sort of leans towards being dark and evil, she doesn't want to be evil, so she hasn't really shown it. And so she's tried to save that power to a point that she can show everybody to create alliances at the right time during school. Mm -hmm. So she was going to use this opportunity to start showing people that she she did have power, that maybe they would want to align with her. And then he comes in and saves her 
instead yeah. so she doesn't get to use that. Yeah, and so this kind of introduces the vibe of the junior class, which is basically Orion Lake is this golden hero perfect dude who saves everyone and everyone wants to be his friend everybody like gushes over him he's in a lot of ways mr popular at the school and of course he's an enclaver from new york right he has saved so many people that there are more people still alive in the school because of this guy than maybe ever before Mm-hmm. which is important to the plot going forward. But so that, I mean, that's why that's why everybody loves him. And that's kind of why she hates him. She starts saying, I think early on that these mouths, these creatures, they feed on the mana that they get from the kids that they kill. And because he has saved so many, they're not getting fed. Yes, they're starving. And so they become more desperate, which makes them less predictable, I think, is the is the idea. Yeah. So he's killed this monster in a room. He made a big mess doing it, too. So then she's got to figure out a way to clean up. And the rooms in this school are private, but the back wall of the room... Of every room. It's just open to the void. And so it's just like, I don't know, I guess a black nothingness out there. And she has to go to the black nothingness and try to very specifically ask for a book... That will give her a spell that can help her clean up her room. But because of her evil sorceress supreme. Not only is it that she is more inclined towards like evil type stuff, how you use the magic isn't as costly or affected in like your physical form or like your magical aura or whatever is how you get the magic, right? So like getting the magic through evil means you can still use that magic for good. Like you could get magic from evil means and be an awesome, cool, beneficial person to society, but you're still tainting yourself with evil magic, right? Versus like you could get good magic and use it for bad things. What really affects you is how you get the magic. But not only is she more inclined towards these like destructive type things, her magic, everything that she gets is big. It's on 11. (laughs) It's colossal city destroying army incinerating levels. Yeah. So like she asks for something to help her clean her room and she gets something that produces an eternal flame that would disintegrate everyone in the mile range or some craziness like that. Technically, that would clean her room. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So she's got to be really, really specific in what she asks for. And even then, what she ends up with is a whole tome of household cleaning spells in Old English that she then has to decipher. And the school is really, really strange because, like I was saying at the beginning, it's kind of like its own intelligent being where Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of like magical AI. Like it's monitoring every action you take. And it's like, oh, you Googled tablecloths? Maybe all you want to see ever is tablecloths or whatever. You know what I mean? Or here's how to make a tablecloth out of the skin of your enemies. (laughs) Yes. If if your algorithm believes that you are the evil sorcerer supreme, that's what you would get. (laughs) But so things like if you happen to read something in another language that maybe you don't know yet it's like oh you want to study that language okay here's Here you go. all only things in that language and then you have to study it yeah you got to be really careful about what you look at even <laughs> yeah it's uh I-, I hope that is 
explained more in the future books in the series because I'm really curious about the inner workings of the school itself. Like that was mm. probably the part that sucked me in the most. I was just really interested in the how and the why of the school. Yeah, the school as a setting and as almost like its own background character is definitely like a super intriguing aspect of the story for sure. Um. So anyway, she gets her household cleaning spells, goes to dinner, and then people are kind of starting to notice her because she got saved by Orion Lake, which, you know, pisses her off even more. But also it pisses her off because she needed to be noticed. She just didn't want it to be for that reason. Yeah, she's being noticed as weak rather yeah. than as powerful or strong. Because even even in the places in the school, like the cafeteria, that's dangerous too. There might be poison in the food. They all have to check each bit of food, check each spot that they might go to grab food because there might be mouths hiding mm-hmm. in them. There might be things like under the table. Everywhere she goes, she does like a perimeter check. She like lays down security spells or whatever around her. It's, it's constant vigilance in this place. Mm-hmm which apparently is still better than not being there. <laughs> yeah, and it, and again, throughout the book, through her struggles of just getting through day to day compared to the other kids that are introduced through the story that are from enclaves, you know, she's, again, she's on her own. She doesn't have a guaranteed group of people to watch her back like someone in an enclave would. Like Orion, though, we learn that Orion doesn't need anybody to watch his back. <laughs> so her mom is well-known. Yeah. But she has not told, it's again, their junior year, they've been there three years, and she hasn't told anybody that that's her mom. Her biggest hangups is that she wants to be recognized and wanted as like an ally or as a friend or whatever, based on her own merits, rather than based on her mom's legacy. She doesn't want to write anybody else's coattails. She wants to stand on her own. Do you think that also some of it is because she's genuinely afraid that she might be evil and doesn't want her mom to be tainted by that? There's probably an aspect of that too. She spends so much of her time in this like indignant, angry that other people assume that she's negative and mean or whatever. Like she's a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of this Mm -hmm. as well, I think. She assumes that everyone doesn't like her, so she behaves... Like, well, I don't like you either. And then people are like, what the fuck, girl? Like, what's your deal? You know, and so it's kind of this endless loop with her. I think she starts this story out not accepting, but on some level believing that all of her attempts at staying away from being bad will eventually not be enough. Like, I think she on some level believes that at some point she's going to be bad. I do think that she believes that she's doomed. And so she's just trying to hold back. And just be in control of her own destiny as long as she can. So through several encounters and happenstance, we learned that all Orion Lake wants to do is kill Mal's. And like we mentioned before, he is so good at it that there are more people in the school than there has been in years before. Which is both good and problematic, you know, because yay, people, that's nice. But at the same time, you've got Mal's getting more and more desperate. Orion starts to hang around and tail and follow Elle for a particular reason. Yeah, he starts to suspect that she may actually be a Maleficer. So there was another classmate, I think earlier in the same year, who disappeared. 
Mm-hmm. And L demonstrates to him that she is strictly mana. And in doing so, she shows him what would happen if she did try to uh, use Malia. And so then he yeah. gets really suspicious of her. Yeah, she's basically like, listen, dude, I could. Let me show you. And she like pulls some of his mana out of him, but then gives it back, I think. And she's like, I could, but I don't. <laughs> so then he gets really suspicious and kind of starts following her around because he thinks that she has killed this other classmate. And in fact, she knows who did kill the other classmate because she is so calculating and so alone and watching her back all the time. But she doesn't want to sell out the person who did it because she thinks that that he will eventually come after her. He'll find out that it was her and he is bad and would kill her. So she doesn't want to say anything about it. But she also doesn't want everybody in the school to be suspicious like Orion is. And so she starts letting everybody believe that they're just dating. And that's why he's following her around. And he's kind of not socially with it so he has no idea that that's what everybody thinks is going on (laughs) he is so like honed in laser focused like a hunting dog or something that he just straight up ignores everything if he's not hunting mals or hunting maleficers he is thinking about hunting mouse and hunting maleficers. <laughs> he can hardly be bothered to care about his classes or anything like that. So he's kind of oblivious to a lot of the goings on of the school. And I'm going back to some of my notes here, but mm. at one point she's describing what he looks like and she talks about he has like a really big nose. Mm. And my note at that early point was, I'm assuming that he's the love interest and hopefully in later books he gets old enough and grows into his nose and now he's just (laughs) super hot. (laughs) Okay. And I think when they describe how Elle looks, she's like long dark hair, right? One of the quotes that I wrote down was, one of the girls once told me I was the color of upsettingly weak tea, (laughs) which I just thought was like, what an insult. (laughs) (laughs) I think she's also described as like skinny, but wiry. Because again, she is strictly mana. So she does push ups and jumping jacks and squats and sit ups and things like that in her room to build up mana. And she's probably pretty buff, though, you know? Yeah, but she also is like everybody I think in the school is pretty malnourished. Yeah. <laughs> malnourished. <laughs> Sorry, that was really That's dumb. so bad. So everybody thinks they're dating. She doesn't want to sell out Jack, who's the guy who actually um, is using Malia and killed the other girl. But Mm -hmm. Jack figures out that she knows anyway and Mm -hmm. comes in to attack her. And he he actually stabs her. It's an intense scene. And she's dying and Mm -hmm. realizes at this moment she had always thought if she was in a moment like this, she would reach out and steal the mana to save herself. And she can't. She won't. So she's like, great, all this time I assumed that I had this backup plan that I was just going to be evil, and now I'm not going to be evil and I'm just going to die? This sucks. She's really upset, not scared, not, you know, she's just kind of disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) But her hero, Mr. Orion, comes in and saves the day, and he kills Jack. And then because there's been a death, because there's been blood and fighting or whatever this is drawing the attention of all the mouths around so yeah it's basically shark week (laughs) 
she has this injury and then they know that all these monsters are about to start attacking. Luckily, she's got a, I don't know, special bandage or whatever that her mom made that's going to help her heal. There's a whole description of like her mom planted flax, grew it, harvested it, wove the patch, like the linen of the patch or whatever herself, put magic into the healing ointment. Like, so her mom put all this work into this single patch that she gave to her. And it was one of the few things that she would, I think the patch and like some crystals and maybe like one set of clothes or something was all she was able to bring into the school. Yep. This is like a mayday, like in case you're dying patch and lo and behold, she's dying, right? But again, just to show like the amount of work that goes into this. And then on top of it, her mom made it. So it's a super good healing patch. So she gets that on the wound, but there's no way she's going to be able to survive all the attacks. So Orion stays in her room with her all night to fight them while Mm -hmm. she sleeps. And of course, after that, everybody just thinks they had sex. Yeah. Which is, you know, like a big deal in this world because you're fighting for your life every day, but you took the, you took the opportunity well, and there's there's a little bit, too, about how, like, you don't typically stay in other people's rooms overnight because that also tends to be kind of like a dinner bell to the mouths right. also. So it's not super practical to do it. But, you know, teenagers gonna teenage. So sometimes people do. And so that's what everybody assumes that they did. So after this, everybody else is like, okay, they're really seriously dating now. Um, mm-hmm. And they start to behave differently towards Elle. So some of the enclaves start being nicer to her because they think, okay, she's our connection to him. Or, you know, maybe she's more valuable than we thought. But she sort of denies those advances. And she instead chooses to hang out with some of the other independent kids. Well, and then in this too, the all the Enclave kids from New York start to get kind of antsy because New York, again, that's where Orion is from. And not only is he from New York, but he's the son of some pretty prominent people in the New York Enclave. And so the other New York Enclaver kids are getting antsy about like, is she stealing him away? You know, should we try to invite her in? They're basically like, we need him. He is our strategy. He's our ticket out of this school. And so they're getting very nervous about what this quote unquote relationship of theirs is going to do to their plans. Yeah. And she's not making it easy on them because she she's not playing into what you would expect somebody to do because you would expect that somebody being approached by an enclave would immediately jump and sort of grovel, you know, just to try to get in with them. But she's not doing that. So she's acting strangely. They're not sure what to do with her, but they all know they need to be paying attention to her. Yeah, she's basically being a bitch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's what she's doing. And it's awesome. I mean, think about, like, female YA protagonists. Think about Mm -hmm. Katniss Everdeen, bitch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? That's that's yeah. like that's how they have to paint the young female yeah. protagonist, I feel like. I do think that this one takes it over the top. You know what I mean? It's intentionally. There's something about just like teenage girl angst that like I do enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> so they as the year goes on, she is still trying to be strategic. So even though she's being a bitch to these people, she's trying to make some alliances. So Adia is uh, another independent kid that she has been not really friends with, but has that person tolerated her in the past. And so she's mm-hmm. sort of saying, 
because you were not awful to me before, I'm going to share some of this benefit that I'm now getting with you so that we can be aligned in the future. Mm -hmm. So she starts asking for help on some of her projects. They do have different classes and school projects, which the school assigns them. And there's like different tracks they can be on. But I think that's like a whole other whole other podcast to talk about all the different classwork. Yeah, don't get me started because that's fun too. (laughs) They spend a lot of time working on different projects together. Orion is still following her around, but she kind of starts to realize that he's not following her around anymore because he's monitoring her, but he's following her around because she's the only person in the school who just treats him like a normal human, who doesn't treat him like a god. Mm -hmm. And so she's realizing like, Okay, maybe he actually, maybe he really wants to be friends with me. Maybe this isn't some play. So she starts being friendly to him, too. Yeah, they become friends. They start spending a lot of time together in the library, which the library is kind of a cool place, too. And it's like the safest place in the school. Yeah, it's up on the freshman level. But there's a day that they are hanging out. She's kind of talking to him about the privilege that he has being in an enclave because he's completely oblivious. He doesn't realize how hard it is for the rest of them. He doesn't Mm -hmm. get attacked every day and she does and he doesn't understand what it's like to not have this shared power store, to have every minute of your time thinking about how am I going to earn up enough mana Mm -hmm. to survive graduation. That's not something he's ever even thought about. So she's talking to him about that and then they hear a ruckus in the library. There's people screaming, there's chaos. So he takes off running, Mr. Golden Boy. Yeah, he's he's excited. (laughs) Yes, straight into the fray. Yeah, he gets excited because it's what it's all he wants is to kill mouse. She follows him, but not as quickly. And in, in her attempt to follow him, the school and the library takes efforts to not allow her to get there. So things like the rose of the shelves will elongate so that you could maybe if normally it would take you 10 seconds to get to the end of the row it might take you 10 minutes if the school doesn't want you to go where you're going Mm -hmm. it's something that kind of gets touched on throughout the book about how like i think there's some point in the book she describes it as like once you make up your mind to do something you should go do it immediately Because the longer you spend thinking about it or planning or whatever, the more time you basically give the school to make things harder for you. If it is the school's prerogative. It is not a friendly character. It is a... It's antagonistic. Is it? I don't know if I would say it's 100% antagonistic, but it is unpredictable and... The school has its own agenda. Right, exactly. It's unknowable. And so you are often left questioning, wondering what it's going to do because you can't Mm -hmm. know and you have to have your own strategies to try to get around whatever the school is going to do. The same thing about like, if the school thinks you read something in Aramaic, now you have to learn Aramaic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it might give you your next spell class in Aramaic. So that happens as she's trying to chase after him, where she can tell that the school is not wanting her to get to where she's trying to go. But she has tricks to keep her on her path. So things like reading the spines of the books helps keep her on the track that she wants to be on. Yeah, she's basically kind of half tricking the school into thinking like, oh, I'm just looking at the shelves. Right. I'm just looking for a book. I'm not actually trying to get to wherever Orion ran off to. But 
in the midst of that, she ends up in a row of the library that she hasn't seen before. So she's gone down this area, but it's never stretched itself out to the point that she can see the books that she's seeing now. So her like landmark mm-hmm. books are much further apart. Mm-hmm. And in doing this, she spies a book that based on the way it looks is like untouched. It's new to the shelves. It's new from the void. And it's very special looking. It's a Sanskrit book that's very special. And so she is able to snag it and stow it away. So she gets the book and she's going to continue down to where the screaming was. But then she realizes that the library is really, it's not that it's trying to keep her away from Orion. Right. It's not trying to keep her away from him. It's trying to make sure that she doesn't go back. The book itself, she's like, if the school let me see this book, it doesn't want me going back. It it wanted me to come this way. It wanted to incentivize me this way. Right. And so she stops and turns around and sees a mawmouth coming out of the grapes. And again, the mawmouth is the creature that can't be killed. It's what got her dad during graduation. So seeing a mawmouth in the school is unheard of. They know that two are posted up in the graduation hall and have been there for centuries. And they're out in the world, and they are the most terrifying thing to all of wizarding kind. She describes what they are, and they're really awful. So it's like when a mom out eats somebody, they don't die. They're like incorporated into the body of the creature. Mm-hmm. And they die forever. Yeah. And so they're not themselves anymore, but they're not dead either. And it's I think it's like it, the ones who have more recently been incorporated scream still. So it's it's really awful. Imagine a disgusting, gelatinous, fleshy blob that has tentacles and eyes and mouths all over the outside of it. And yeah, those the eyes can look at you, the mouths scream. But yes, they grab things that are nearby, pull them in, and basically are just eating them forever. It's disgusting. So she sees this thing and knows it's a complete death sentence yeah it's on the freshman floor it's gonna it heads to the freshman floor so she sees it come up in the library and it kind of goes down the hall to the stairway and she sees it heading to where the freshman dorms are and she has this moment of like what do i do and she decides fuck it i'm gonna chase it so she chases after it knowing this is only in legend that anyone has ever killed this thing there's a legend where like a whole group of the most powerful powerful people got together and working together they were able to defeat one yeah but she chases after it anyway because there's all these defenseless freshmen who don't know anything so she gets there it's in the hallway and there's this really really gross (laughs) description of her approaching it and it's got these tentacles or whatever and when it grabs out to get her so her strategy is she has to kill it from the inside so she has to get close enough to it she puts up like a shield so it's not grabbing her yet but grabs around the shield around her and she describes it in like the rapiest way (laughs) (laughs) so she's trying to explain to you the reader what it feels like when this thing grabs you with its tentacle and pulls you in and she's talking about a sweaty man whispering but like whispering in both your ears at once trying to enter you and it's (laughs) awful yeah so gross essentially she just kind of walks into it and she decides i just need to walk into this creature as far as i can get to -hmm. get to like the middle of it i guess and she's just talking about swimming through meat 
That's the yeah. description of getting to the middle of it. I'm trying to swim through meat. All the while you have screams and breathing and whimpers and sighs and just like the absolute worst ASMR you could imagine, <laughs> I think. <laughs> like evil ASMR. <laughs> Dark web ASMR. <laughs> but so she gets to the point where she can't, she's like, I can't go any further. And she just starts fucking blasting Avada Kedavras in every direction. <laughs> yeah, just mass killing spells. Just one after another, just kill, kill, kill. Like the things that are supposed to be city level or spells. She's just does like a hundred of them. Because this is her affinity. This is what she's good at. They're literally the most simple spells. Like I think one is in French, right? It's like a la mort. Mm -hmm. It's like natural to her. Yeah. The way that that spell in particular is described is like you have to say it with such nonchalance and like it means nothing to you. Otherwise, it doesn't work or it might even like hurt you or something. That's why it's such a dangerous spell. But for her, it really is easy and nonchalant. It's like a flick of the wrist, just like yeah. a la mort. You're dead. But she has to do it over and over and over and over again. Because again, remember, these mom mouths are made up of beings. And so she's literally killing every person that has been, quote unquote, killed and eaten by this mom yeah. mouth. But it takes forever. But she does it. She ends up killing it all by herself. She's covered in goo and nastiness, which the school drains away because the hallways are designed to drain away guts and gore. Yeah. <laughs> be it from mouths or from students yeah and then orion arrives so he's i guess taking care of everything in the library and he's run down here to save the day and all he finds is her and he gets really annoyed because he thinks she just ran away from yeah. <laughs> saving people but then she has like a breakdown but she doesn't tell him what happened because i guess she thinks like nobody's gonna believe her Absolutely no one would believe her. Yeah, she's like, this could have been my big moment, but nobody was around to see it. I actually think that's part of her when she's trying to decide what to do, if she should go after the mom mouth or not. One of her things is like, no one's going to see it. What's the point? So they take her up to the cafeteria, I think. And she's like, she's just out of it. She's in full shock. And nobody understands why, because they can't even tell that she's been through anything. I guess she had her shield up the whole time, so she's not covered in muck or anything. It all mm -hmm. fell away from her. So she just looks like, man, that thing in the library really screwed her up. Yeah, people are like, oh, man, she must have been really scared. Good thing that her boyfriend is Golden Boy <laughs> Orion. So to help her feel better, he gives her some extra mana, but he gives her way too much and... Like you said, there's only so much that you can hold and it's too much for her. So she completely out of instinct, she casts one of her mom's spells, which is like a spell to write yourself. So it's just whatever is going on with you, just get yourself back to baseline. Yeah, basically just flushing out all the negative energy. What are those stupid pseudoscience things where it's like put a cut onion by your bed and it'll like... <laughs> Oh, flushing out the toxins. You know, like those things that people put on the bottoms of their feet and then it's like you peel it off and it's black and they're like, ew, gross. Look at all the toxins that were in your body. <laughs> okay, so she it's does like that. It's like that, but it's for realsies. She does wizard foot toxin <laughs> detox, I guess. Yeah, cleanse. <laughs> but it's so big that even just doing it to herself is too much and it pushes out from herself and hits everybody at the table including a character we haven't talked about, Lou, 
who is another independent who Elle knows has been using Maliet, but like very, very little. So nobody else even suspects, but it's things like her nails are turning black. She just looks kind of pale, things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, kind of that waxy look that people might get. Which is supposed to be irreversible, right? Once that's happened to you, you're not supposed to be able to undo it. I think the more it physically manifests, the harder it is to undo it. But I don't think it's that you can't undo it. I think it's just that like it takes so much Mm. to undo it that for a lot of people, like once they get to a certain point, they could be perfectly good for the rest of their life and they wouldn't get rid of all of it. But so she cast this writing spell on everybody at the table and it hits Lou and those things are gone. Her nails are normal. Her face is normal. Her hair is normal. And again, Elle's like the only person that knows this is a thing for Lou because she's been really careful and only used little, little bits of it throughout mm-hmm. the years. So Lou has like a weird reaction compared to everybody else at the table. Everybody else at the table just kind of has a look of peacefulness that yeah. they haven't had in a while. But she has a look of like, holy shit. Yeah. Uh, that she immediately tries to kind of cover up and hide because she doesn't understand what's just happened. Well, she doesn't understand and she doesn't want other people to be curious about it either. So that sort of opens up Lou as being the next friend. So she has Adia and then Lou is sort of the next person she's trying to bring into her fold. She shows Adia the book that she found, which is called the Golden Stone Sutras. And I think it's one of those things where like people think it exists, but no one's seen it in hundreds of years kind of deal. Yeah, so it's my understanding that it was the first collection of spells that taught people how to build enclaves. And it was super valuable back in the day. But I think the understanding is that like from that information, the people of the world built off of that and then they came up with better ways to build enclaves. And so it is out of date. You could say it's antiquated, but it's still a super valuable old book that has been missing for a long time. And there are spells within it that are spells that are part of the whole sequence or the whole process that you can use individually that are very powerful spells on their own. And these are spells that I think kind of like how, I don't know, things are now with technology. We have really easy ways of I don't know, computing numbers or whatever. I don't know why that's the example I'm going to, but we have computers, we have calculators, whatever. But that also means that people aren't as good as doing math on their own as they as they used to be. So Mm. this is sort Mm -hmm. of like teaching somebody to do calculus by hand Mm -hmm. compared to teaching them how to do the computer. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's like the foundational way. Yeah. That's how I understood it. So it's the forgotten original old way of creating these enclaves that has these really powerful spells that have been replaced and forgotten. The book's existence just on its own is kind of a game changer for her. It's invaluable. She could go anywhere she wanted with the uh, existence of this book. And the books are kind of funny. So I guess books also sort of have, they're connected to the schools. So they also kind of have a mind of their own. And she talks Mm -hmm. about how you have to treat them right or they'll disappear. Yeah. So yeah, you have to be really good to your books. She talks to it. She pets it. She tells it how wonderful it is. She cleans it. (laughs) She's going to make it this beautiful box to keep it in and that she's going to share it with people and love and cherish it forever. She carries it in a sling. Like she doesn't ever put it down because she doesn't want it to disappear. 
So she shows it to Adia. Adia is sort of a mover and shaker. She's like a, I don't know, what would you call it? She's kind of wheeling and dealing through the school. She's the I know a guy character, kind of. You know, like you can go through Adia to procure just about anything. So the cool thing about Adia is that while she is also an independent kid, she's not from an enclave or anything like that. She has worked really hard to establish herself as a very gifted artificer. And so she makes really cool magic things like machines or trinkets or, you know, whatever, that things that are imbued with magic that can then be used. And so she has established herself as kind of a person to know, and she is on track for setting herself up with probably getting some invites with enclavers to kind of form graduation alliances, which is basically just like, we're all going to work together to get out the gates with the hope that she would be able to join an enclave in the future. So she's definitely a person to know, even though she is not officially committed to any one group at this time. So she agrees that she's going to hold an auction to trade one of the spells out of the book that Elle has found. So she's going to try to get, I think it's like three people that they'll trade with in the auction. Something like that. Yeah. And the trade is like, again, she's not giving away the spell forever. She's just giving away access to the spell so that other people can learn how to do it. Yeah, it's one of those things where like once you've read it and memorized it, you have the spell. I think in particular, they're looking at getting seniors to buy into this auction. And that could be anything from supplies to spells of their own to um, anything that might help you survive. The outgoing seniors in particular tend to auction off or give away if they're really close to somebody the things that they're not going to take out of the school with them. And so it's a great opportunity to kind of get stuff that might set you up for success coming into the next year, into their senior year. So that really helps set up Adia as somebody that she's going to form an alliance with. So eventually, Elle, Adia, and Lou all agree that they are going to be in the alliance together and they make it official by like writing it on the wall in what, three different languages, something like that. Yeah, so there's a tradition within the school that when you create a graduation alliance, you go sign your names together on the wall, I think outside the bathroom on your floor. And so, yeah, they go and they write their names in English, Hindi, and Mandarin. It's actually a really sweet scene. Again, Elle has spent her entire life as an outcast, even at home with her mom in this like enclave of hippies that they live with. Only her mom likes her. (laughs) Like, nobody likes her. It's kind of same self-fulfilling prophecy there. I think people can kind of sense her power, too. I think it's just people are off-put by her because of it. Yeah, but she also doesn't make any effort to, like, try. I think she did when she was younger, and it just wasn't working. And it was before she really understood what was going on. It's a defense thing because it hurts. It hurts to be rejected. Yeah. So she spent so much time with that wall up that, you know, as she starts to let these other two in, it becomes a very touching and very sweet, just this weird relief that she doesn't really know what to do with it, though. You know, (laughs) she's perplexed by how to friend. So we get closer and closer to graduation and there's more and more of these big malls coming into the rest of the school. Mm -hmm. And 
more and more people, I think, are making comments about how this is Orion's fault because he saved too many people. And the seniors are starting to get worried because they have to go down to the graduation hall. There's Mm -hmm. way hungrier creatures down there now than there normally would be because normally more kids would have been eaten (laughs) at this point. Typically, only about half of the freshmen make it to their senior year. And so over... This is now the third year, basically, of fewer and fewer people dying within the school since Orion's been there. It has messed everything up. So they discover that the door down to the graduation hall is being broken through and that uh, malls are trying to come in through that door. And so Elle and company decide that they're going to fix the door. They're going to use one of the spells from the book to try to fix the door. But... They also run into some seniors who are like, maybe it would be better if the door comes down and those things get fed a little bit so that we can make it out of here for graduation. So this big fight happens in the hallway when they're trying to fix the door and the seniors are trying to stop them so that the creatures can come out and nom nom on all the <laughs> all the freshmen. Yeah, on the fresh, <laughs> fresh meat. But Ellen friends... Ultimately, win this fight, they have to kill like a big bad, but she uses the spell. Actually, she uses it a few times and is able to get the door up and successfully fix. But now all the seniors are really mad because they're like, you guys keep fucking things up for us. We have to be down there in like a week and we are all going to die and it's your fault. So you need to fix this. There is an aspect of the school and stuff that we neglected to mention, which is that originally there's this cleansing mechanism that the school does within the school itself. It does it twice a year where everyone has to go to their room because literally everything else is going to be caught on fire. That wall of fire spell that Elle gets from the void is actually what is used. I think it's called mortal flame. It basically sweeps down the hallway and through the classrooms and everything. And it burns up everything. But the cleansing mechanism within the graduation hall itself has broken. It only worked for like two years or something. Like it worked when they first built the school and then it was immediately busted. They sent expeditions to try to fix it. I think maybe they fixed it once and it worked for a couple years. And then they just didn't bother because everybody kept dying. And so... When the seniors come in, there's this big standoff. I mean, I don't want to call it a standoff, really, but it's like this whole thing between the juniors and the seniors in the cafeteria. And the seniors are like, y'all suck. Why don't you just send Orion down to fix it? Because, you know, he loves killing Mal's anyway. Why not? And then Elle's like, what if Orion, me, and any of y'all that aren't scared enough (laughs) go down together? And then... Somehow it turns into this whole, like, the Berlin enclave is like, we will offer a spot to anyone who volunteers to go. And then another enclave says the same thing. And so then suddenly people are like, well, shit, a guaranteed spot in an enclave? Yeah, I'll join this group and go down. And so they form a crack team to, (laughs) like, you son of a bitch, I'm in, to go down to fix the cleansing mechanism so that it'll burn away all or all but a few of the mouths that are amassing in the graduation hall so that the seniors might actually have a chance of getting out. So they do inexplicably decide to wait until the day of graduation, like the morning of. They have to build up the mana. Right, but she even says, like, maybe we could have gone last night. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 
so for whatever reason they've decided this is the best plan is that you should wait until the morning of the graduation to try to go fix this thing. So they do, they go down. I think they lose one person. I think one person dies, but Oh, that's right, because L has to like step up and hold their place in the in the shield. L is part of the shield team. But eventually they're successful. Orion just goes total ape shit mm-hmm. on everything. And I think it mentions that he's like smiling through the whole thing. He's in his element. So they do. They fix the mechanism. And there's this cool yanker spell that basically like they set up beforehand. And it's anchored, I think, on the senior dorms level. And the idea is that like when they're done, they're like, okay, hit it. And they, I think they all have to grab hands or something. And imagine a rope tied around your waist and it just pulls you back like the way you came to your anchor point and it's apparently very jarring but i think it's super cool like it's one of my favorite described spells (laughs) so they make it back to the senior level right as the alarms or whatever are going off and they're like oh it's graduation so all the seniors are running to get with their alliance teams and get ready to go in the graduation hall meanwhile everyone else has to get back to their dorms Because those cleansing fires go through the school at this time also. So Elle and Orion don't make it to their rooms. They make it to one of the classroom floors, I think. And the mortal flame is en route. And Orion thinks, this is it. We're going to die. And so he decides to kiss Elle. Elle's response to that is that she needs him in the groin so that he will get out of her way so she can cast her own mortal flame to... It's like a fire break. Yeah. So she saves them. They don't burn to a crisp. And then immediately he has to like knock her down to kill mouths that didn't get burned right above them. It's this great, like, a three-step comedy thing where it's like, kiss, knee, knock you down. (laughs) It's this, like, back and forth. What I really like about this book is there's a lot of juxtaposition between very silly, very youthful things with these dire life-or-death situations. Like you said earlier, it's teenagers gonna teenage, you know? Exactly. (laughs) So... There's some nice moments. This is like the safest time of the year because the cleansing Mm -hmm. fires have just gone through. So she has like a little girl talk with her friends and they talk about the kiss and gossip. Then Ellen and (laughs) Ryan talk and they agree that they want to date, but after school's over. So basically like, hey, if we both survive this, then maybe we can go on a date. (laughs) I think there's a little bit in there about her own anxiety about caring that much about somebody that might die because like, Her mom and her dad loved each other very much and dad died, you know, as they were trying to get out of the school and all that. So there's still a little bit of that practical, like you hold yourself back a little bit because you have absolutely no idea who's going to live through this. Lou introduces Adia and Elle to these mice that she's been keeping. And I think we learned that the mice were what she was using to pull Malia. So she brought all these mice in and very carefully, very methodically through the years, she was using them to pull magic, right? And so that's where Lou was getting her whole Malia issue from. But she has sworn off she's going to be strictly mana too. And she shows them this one mouse that she has been training to become a familiar. And so she offers mice to Adia and Elle as well. And it's very happy 
sweet scenes that we didn't get during the year because the danger of the school wouldn't allow that kind of stuff. I really liked the mice thing. I don't know. I thought it was cute. (laughs) It is. And I wonder if it becomes something in later books because it's a series. But Mm. because it's graduation day, that also means it's incoming freshman day. So they all go up to the cafeteria to welcome the incoming freshmen. And they also have to protect these kids right away. So as they show Mm -hmm. up, they don't really know uh, what to do. And they're kind of immediately in danger. So the kids that are there try to help group them up and make sure that they're safe as soon as they arrive. The one thing that incoming freshmen know is to, I think they throw up because the teleportation into the school is very disorienting. And then they rush down to the cafeteria. This is also an important time for everybody in the school because it's really their only contact with the outer world. Mail call! (laughs) Yeah. So people will bring letters. But again, as we said at the beginning, there's like a weight allotment for what you can bring with you. So it is costly to bring Mm -hmm. notes from other people. You've probably traded something Mm -hmm. for you to gain to also bring that note with you. And... As the freshmen are arriving, there's a boy who starts calling and asking for Galadriel. And people are like, who's that? We don't know who that is. Yeah, he says, Galadriel, daughter of Gwen Higgins. And everyone's like, Gwen Higgins? Gwen Higgins' daughter is here? Who's Gwen Higgins' daughter? And everybody's looking around. And so Elle walks forward and they're like, what the hell, Elle? But she walks forward and she gets like a teeny tiny little rolled up onion skin. Imagine the tiniest, tiniest possible thing that you could bring with you. Just the thinnest. And the last line in the book is the note that she gets from her mom. And it says, my darling girl, I love you. Have courage and stay far away from Orion Lake. The end. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Have you read any of the other books? Okay, you know how you sped through those books in a weekend? Yes. Or that book? I sped through those books in, I think, about two weeks. The whole thing? Oh, yeah. There's three books. Okay. And I went to town, especially after reading that. I don't know how you avoided the temptation of, like, getting the next book because, like, I was... Well, that's why we were recording very soon (laughs) after and not at our (laughs) usual cadence so that I could go read them. (laughs) But yeah, I just, you know, I mean, what a cliffhanger. But yes, I did read the next two books. I'm not going to say anything about them because now it is time for Lacey to wildly speculate about what comes next in this series. Okay, so I know that the next book is going to be about their senior year. I assume the third book is being out in the world. I'm just going to go with the couple things that I wrote down. I don't know that this is like a This is the storyline I think is going to happen. But these are some things that I thought about. One, I think that this warning is going to color the whole next year and she's going to be super weird about it because she's going to think there's some secret about Orion. I think it's just that her mom knows that he's a hunter of maleficers and that she doesn't want Elle to get caught because she also thinks that Elle has this sort of innate potential for evil. So I think that this is a warning that she's going to heed, but doesn't actually have to heed. And I think it's going to cause them to grow apart for a while Mm. and then come back together at some point. I also think 
there's been a lot of talk about how bad it is to get pregnant when you're at school. And like her mom was pregnant when she graduated. I think she's going to get pregnant. I think she's going to be pregnant when she graduates. And then in following books, did you ever read Elantris by Brandon Sanderson? The one where people like turn to stone? Where they get like an illness where... Yeah, and they get sent into like a part of the city or like its own little city. Yes, and it's like every injury you ever receive never goes away. And so you eventually go crazy. Yes, but don't they kind of turn stony? Oh, I mean, I think maybe eventually just because you're locked into... Yeah. You've accumulated so much. But so you know that story. Yes. I mean, it's been a long time since I've read it, but yes. I think I read it at your suggestion. So in that story, there's this place and it's always existed and it's just this luck of the draw thing that this happens to people. But what they discover at the end is that it's actually not intended to be that way. They are locked in a process that never completed that's supposed to make them actually like even better, right? Mm. They're supposed to be these like shiny god people. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the school is and the mouths together or something like that. Like there's something that has gone wrong that is causing the school to be bad. That's causing these evil creatures to exist in the world that they are going to uncover and figure out eventually. I feel like that's a long shot, but that's as I was going through, like, why is this school so antagonistic? Like you said, Mm -hmm. and that maybe it wasn't intended to be that way, but something's gone awry and they're going to fix it. So that's a, Maybe a long shot. But what I really definitely think is going to happen is that this whole prophecy with the grandma or great grandma or whatever is mm-hmm. all about the book that she found okay. for creating new enclaves because I think she's going to give that to the world. So there's no more bureaucracy of enclaves. It's no more like, oh, people are going to work for 20 years to get their kid a spot. Everybody's going to be able to create their enclave space. And everybody's going to be safe. That's what I think the the end of the series is. Mm, So like the death and destruction is more metaphorical. Maybe that's her power, but that's not what the prophecy was about. The prophecy was death to enclaves, which is not that she's going to tear down the existing ones, but she's going to tear down that hierarchy of power that gives them... The kind of monopoly that they have. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. The quote unquote death of the enclave system. Yes. As it stands. Okay. Okay. Interesting. That's what I think. And give me a week and I'll read the other books and then we can talk about it. <laughs> How right or wrong that is. You mean, you mean I have to sit here and just squirm for a week waiting <laughs> so I can get your reactions? Again, the idea of making Lacey read this book came from my little side piece book club that I'm a part of, which <laughs> when, I, when I, told, I was telling my husband about it the other day, he did call me a book slut for having two quote unquote book clubs going at the same time, uh, which I thought was the funniest thing. I read it at my friend Bree's suggestion. And we had like a group chat because it was my friend Bree and my friend Sam, where Bree had already read she had already read the first book, I almost caught up to her with how quickly I got through like the (laughs) second and the third book. But we had this little group chat where we would put in like our reactions as we read. And it was it was a lot of fun. You know, Brie was ahead of me, but I was ahead of Sam. So like I would have to do like very cryptic reactions or put like little spoiler tags over it. So you'd have to click on the text or whatever. But it was a lot of fun 
as Sam was reading to, to get her reactions to the scenes. And just, I was just sitting there like waiting, like twiddling my fingers, like, come on, come on. I want you to get to this part. So I am very excited for you to read the rest of these books so that we can talk about them. Maybe not on the podcast, but maybe, maybe on the podcast. Who's to know? The one thing that I don't understand is why there's no adults there. Mm. Are they just that selfish that they don't want to be there because they know there's going to be so many mouths and not a one is like, I'll stick around and help you fight? Um, I don't think I can say anything. Okay, so that is something that I will get an answer to. Probably not to the level of satisfaction that you will want. Okay. There is definitely more information, particularly about the Scalamance in subsequent stuff. I have to assume so, since because that is the name of the series, that like that <laughs> the yeah. school itself is a central component. <laughs> yeah. But I definitely will be reading them. So do you have a rating scale for me to use? Okay, it took me a bit, but how about this? On a scale of freshman to senior, <laughs> how would you how would you rate obviously senior being the best, right? How would you rate this book? I'm going to say first semester junior year. So basically where we start off. Yeah. In the story, uh, maybe a little bit earlier than we start off in the story. But okay. All right. Yeah. Like I enjoyed reading the book. I went through it really fast. I thought it was super entertaining. It's not one that I think will stick with me for a long time. Like I'm going to read the other ones, but it's not like a, oh, Harry Potter that I feel like in my heart, (laughs) you know? Well, I mean, you, okay, I get that. But at the same time, like the Harry Potter books were coming out when we were basically that age. Okay. Okay. Let me, you know, you know, that's like a turning point. Like that, that, that's like It's not Name of the Wind. Okay. How about that? Okay. Okay. I love and adore Name of the Wind. I read it as an adult. It's not that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I enjoyed it. Yeah. It was it was fine. It was like the Hunger Games, you know. I would put it at maybe a second semester junior year or first semester senior year. I think it is nigh perfect for what it is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't think it's quite fair to compare it to Name of the Wind because Name of the Wind is written at like a higher level. You know what I mean? But for like a young adult, angsty female protagonist book just mm, chef's kiss i think this is a practically perfect book for exactly what it is yeah for what it is i'm reading based on just my own liking you know okay i I got you yeah yeah yeah. i like it for what it is Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i feel like it catches you immediately with the opening scene of him breaking into her room killing this thing ruining her room you know it sets off just like the tone of the story so well i just keep thinking like man if this book came out when we were in high school i'd have lost my freaking mind like i would have been i just it's not that for me i liked it but it's not that oh man i mean this is just one of those things what i want to do is i want to go down all the rabbit holes and like learn more about the world building and the backgrounds the different kinds of magic and affinities that people have and like the way that magic is used and everything it's just it's so cool so this definitely wasn't that for me i think the stuff that you mentioned is the part that's the most interesting but i kind of felt about this one the way i felt about divergent you remember that one? Oh, okay another ya more like dystopian future but they're broken into the different dauntless but you know what I mean? Like, I read those. 
they were fine. I wouldn't yeah. go for like a reread on them. Yeah. That's that's the level for this one for me. Okay. You sound disappointed. <laughs> I shouldn't be disappointed. When we like things, I tend to more enthusiastically like things more than we do. <laughs> I think it's just that I'm very easily amused, easily entertained. And so like little things, I'm just like, yay. But I am glad that you liked it. I will say I was super tempted to find a book about vampires to make you read. <laughs> I figured that would be too easy. It's no, it's got to the vampires have to be organic. They will find their way. <laughs> they find their way to you no matter what. They don't need my yeah, help. <laughs> exactly. So I would just personally love to have further conversations about this book with literally anybody that will talk to me. So if you want to send us your thoughts, your own wild speculations about what's to come in the follow-up books to this, then you can send us an email at librarygamepodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the library game. So this was not our normal format for this episode. This was our first try at doing uh, Read This Coward. Mm -hmm. So we'd also like your feedback on that kind of format. And then the next episode is also going to be a little bit different than our normal. It's going to be a season wrap where we just want to talk about how this first season of the podcast went, any follow-ups that we've had, stories coming out of the listeners and if there's anything that you would like to talk or hear about if you want to be a guest that would be awesome would love that and then if you have suggestions for other bits like this that we could do or something similar find us however you can find us through our socials or whatever but yeah so we'll be back next month with just kind of some reminiscing and maybe some brainstorming on future ideas I do want to say a thank you to all of you litwits that have stuck with us and been listening, who've been reading along or just hearing about this experiment. So thank you very much for listening. Talk to you later. Bye.